Good morning. How are we doing today? Good. Were, were people in your neighborhood lighting off fireworks late last night? I have a question. Why do people have to start lighting off fireworks after midnight? Why is it midnight at 1 p.m.? I don't, 1 a.m.? I don't understand. Um, well, anyways, good, good to see you this morning. My name's Micah again. And uh, this week actually marks my wife and I being here two years in Billings. Uh, I grew up in Southern California. I know, right? Thank you. <laughs> my, I grew up in Southern California, and, uh, and when I was 20 years old, I made the difficult decision to suffer for Jesus and move to Hawaii. And so uh, I lived in Hawaii for, um, I was supposed to stay there for two months, no kidding, and I called my mom and told her I wasn't coming home, and I uh, ended up living there for 11 years. And so uh, it was a wonderful time there, and, and you know, that's really where uh, I got to go to Bible college, and get trained in the ministry, and I had the, the most wonderful leaders and pastors and mentors there and friends, and, and uh, got to meet my wife there, and I got me an island girl, and I stole her away from the islands, and uh, we have three wonderful children, Azariah is seven, Solomon is five, and Naomi is three, and uh, we, you know, we absolutely love being here in Billings, and oftentimes when I tell people that we're from Hawaii, they'll kind of look at us like, why would you move here, like from paradise? And, and so our, our response has been, you know, uh, when, when God tells you to go, even if it means leaving paradise, you got to go. And so uh, we, we really do love it here in Billings, and we just bought a house in October, and um, we love the adventures here. We love the, the food and the people and, and just everything that, that Montana has to offer. And so we're, we're still, I feel like we're still getting settled in, but... Um, we sure do love it here, and we're excited for what God has for our future. And uh, this morning, we're going to continue in Exodus, uh, as uh, Pastor Nate's been, been uh, teaching us through um, the story with, with Moses and the Israelite people. And this morning, we're going to get to see them as slaves in is- Israel, the Israelites being slaves in Egypt, being taken out um, into the promised land. And so uh, let's look here this morning, and uh, before we do that, I'm going to pray for us. Is that okay? All right. God, thanks for this morning. Um, we love you so much, and uh, I pray you teach us uh, this morning um, that you are strong, and that you are able, and that you can deliver us. Uh, Jesus, we love you, and uh, we sure do need your help uh, on a daily basis. In your name, amen. Amen. Uh, hey, no one enjoys bondage. Nobody does. It's not something that we wake up in the morning looking forward to. No one wakes up thinking, I cannot wait to get myself into a bondage situation. I I just desire to be stuck. I desire to be um, under somebody's uh, authority that I don't want to be under. No one thinks like that. The Israelites sure weren't thinking that when they got stuck in the land of Egypt. Like, oh, we cannot wait to be oppressed by Pharaoh. They were there under Pharaoh's hospitality, not to be oppressed. Nobody desires to to be in that position. I mean, if you think about... uh, um, being, I'm a parent now. I don't know how many of you are parents, but as a parent, I, I think like this for my children. I do not want them to be in a cruel bondage situation. And so uh, when I think about my kids, I think, you know, I'm going to do all I can um, to support them and lead them so they don't get stuck in emotional bondage, physical bondage, spiritual bondage, right? And so uh, as a parent, I, I think like this for my kids. Um, I, I was reading this article, and this young girl she, she got her head stuck in a Barney mask. Do you guys remember Barney, the big purple dinosaur? I love you. 
you love me. Remember that guy? Horrible, right? And uh, I was reading this article, and, and she could not get this mask off. And so her parents came, oh, we'll help you. And they couldn't get it off, so they had to call in the fire department. And the fire departments were like, well, let's get you to the hospital and get this thing surgically removed from your head. And uh, she, she needed their help to get this thing off. And, and uh, as parents, we get that. Like, I'm going to come to your rescue no matter what. And uh, I can recall my kids growing up, I, I had a, we, have, we had really chubby babies. Our kids were, like, really big, almost 10 pounds, almost 9 pounds, and almost 8-pound babies, big babies. And so when they were young, they were really chubby, you know, like the big old chub legs and the big belly and the big old chub arms. And it was just the best thing in the world, like to, to cuddle the chub and to, like, nibble on the chub. It was just a great, like, chubby babies. And so we would, uh, we would have so much fun with them. And people would be like, hey, are you working out? No, I just got big babies. <laughs> and so it was just a great time. And so sometimes you would wait, I would wake up in the middle of the night to a, a screaming baby thinking, oh, my goodness, what's going on? And you run in the, the, the bedroom, and come to find out one of their big old chub legs would be stuck in the, in the crib. And they couldn't figure out how to get it out, like, ah, oh, my chubby leg is stuck. And so as a parent, I'm like, you know, assess the situation. And then you just pull the chubby leg out, and they're like, thank you. And you give them a big hug, and you put them back to bed. And, and as parents, we think, I, I would not want my, my child, you know, to, to be stuck. And this is how God thinks about us. This is surely how God thought about the Israelites. He, he heard what they were going through. He saw what they were going through, being in bondage. And, and he's like, you know what, I, I, that's not my heart for you. I do not want you to be in that place. And I'm so glad that, that God is a God of deliverance. God is a God who, who cares about us and sees us and, and wants us to not be in that place. And he's more than willing to step in and say, you know what? I see you there, I hear you there, and I want to help you get out of, um, of that bondage. And here currently in Exodus, this is where the, the, the Israelites are. Um, they're stuck in bondage under Pharaoh, a place where they didn't expect to be in, a place where they didn't want to be. For over 400 years, they were, they were slaves of Pharaoh. And so uh, now Moses is tasked and charged with the assignment to bring him out you know, into the promised land. And and uh, I don't know about you, but there sure can be some obstacles to freedom. And it sure would be nice if freedom happened in an instant, right? It, say you want to quit smoking. It would be nice if it happened like, boom, done, that's it. It would be nice if, if you're going through something and you want to be free from it to, to have it done right away. But it's not always like that. I want to look at a couple obstacles here um, that were very real and very present. And the first one is that uh, the people, they actually didn't, want to listen to Moses. So they heard him, but they didn't hear him. They, they saw what he was saying, but they, they couldn't see it. And Moses is speaking to the people. He's saying, hey, listen, I have a plan. This is going to be okay. But, but they didn't want to listen. If you read here with me in Exodus chapter 6, verse 9, it says, so Moses spoke thus to the sons of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses on account of their despondency and cruel bondage. It was such a hopeless situation, they couldn't even hear Moses. And so Moses said, here, I have the plan. Look, it's right here. God's going to rescue us. And they said, uh, we, we, I, we just can't listen to you. We just can't believe that. And it's a bummer when you and I have trust issues in what God would speak. Because God wants to deliver us. And Moses had the clear plan. It's, it's ready to go. But the people wouldn't listen. And the second one here 
is that Moses wanted, Moses himself wanted to escape his assignment. Look at that. Moses wanted to escape his assignment. And it says here in Exodus uh, chapter 6, verse 12, it says, Moses spoke before the Lord, saying, Behold, the sons of Israel have not listened to me. How then will Pharaoh listen to me? For I am unskilled in speech. And as, as much as uh, Moses wanted to accomplish this, he was still dealing with his inadequacies. You ever have those moments where you look at your faults, you look at what you're lacking, and you think, this is just too ugly. This is just too big for God to use me. And Moses dealt with this a number of times. And he goes to God with this a number of times, saying, God, I'm, I'm unskilled in speech. This impediment that I have, like, why would you choose me? Am I the right man for this mission? Like, why, why would you keep coming to me for this, God? And so Moses has some, some big issues with, with God giving him this assignment. Number three is that Pharaoh would resist God and his heart would be hardened. Pharaoh himself continually resisted God and his heart was hardened. And it says here in uh, chapter 7, verse 3, it says, But I will harden Pharaoh's heart that I, God says, that I may multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. And, you know, even though Pharaoh's heart was hard and he was stubborn, God's glory would still be seen. And God's ways would still be seen. And, and these miraculous signs and wonders that God would perform would be seen by not only Egypt, but by his people. And it would be a devastating thing for Egypt, but a refreshing thing for the Israelites. And I'm so glad when God comes through and when he speaks to us and he shows us who he is. Because um, it's refreshing, isn't it? And um, I, I know that no matter what obstacle um, there may be, maybe it's one of these, that Moses was going through with the people, that Pharaoh, no matter what the obstacle is, I know that there is nothing that is too strong, no grip that is too firm, no thing that is too difficult for God to free us from. And no matter what it is, no matter what the size of thing is that we're going through, God can deliver us from that. Isn't that good news? And I'm so glad that no, no matter how, how uh, tense a situation may be or how, how deep of a pit I may be stuck in, God is able to come to my rescue and help me. Isn't that good news? The, the uh, fourth thing is, uh, and I'm glad for this, is that God promises deliverance. That's who God is. He says, listen, I'm going to show up on your behalf. That's who I am. I, I promise I, I will deliver you. And in chapter 6, uh, verse 1, he says, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For under compulsion, he will let them go. And under compulsion, he will drive them out of his land. And by God's great power and uh, by God's great strength, he was going to literally get Pharaoh to release his grip and let the people go. It was going to take some time. It was going to take 10 plagues to do it, uh, but it would happen. If you look a little bit further, chapter 6, verse 5 and 6, um, God says, Furthermore, uh, I have heard the groaning of the sons of Israel, because the Egyptians are holding them in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. These, these great judgments will be these ten plagues. And you notice he says an outstretched, outstretched arm. Aren't you thankful that no matter where we are, God can reach us? Like his arms aren't too short. We're never going to get in a situation where God is like, I can't, I, I can't reach you. I'm so sorry. Nothing is going to be over God's head. 
nothing is going to be out of his reach or out of his uh, level of strength. He's, he will always be strong enough to deliver us. I would encourage you this morning um, to remember that God cares for you. And God is willing to step in and help you. And his strength is proven. His strength for you and I will always be there. And he will always come through for us. When you are on the point of, of giving up or throwing in a towel or saying, I, I just don't know anymore, be encouraged that God can help you. Be encouraged that God is right there to prove his strength for you again. Amen. And God was ready to prove his strength for the people of Israel. And he said, watch. I'm, I'm going to show my strength over the, the gods of Egypt, over Pharaoh, and you just watch what I, what I do here because it's going to be incredible. And uh, I want to look at a couple of these plagues uh, together, um, and we're, we're really going to see God's strength here. It's unmatched, and uh, I love this. The, the first plague, how, how, in fact, how many of you have heard of these, these ten plagues before? At least once or twice? Okay, okay. Um, the first play here is uh, water being turned to blood. And so if you think now, um, every, their, their main water source in Nile would have been turned, turned to blood. In fact, it says the buckets of water and anything that was carrying water in this, in, around Egypt, Egypt at that time would have been turned to blood. And so it, this would have been a huge inconvenience, greatly annoying. Turn on the shower in the morning and it's blood. You're probably going to wait to take a shower. And you go to the sink and, and you, you, you turn it on to get a cup of water and you think, this is blood, I'm not going to drink this. And so um, this is how the water was. And it actually says they had to go out and dig some new wells to get fresh water. And so th- this was, would have been a huge annoyance for the people. This was the first plague. God says, watch this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn the water to blood. The second plague is uh, frogs. Frogs. How many of you enjoy frogs? Okay, a couple. Jessica, all right. <laughs> Just a couple of us. Um, last night, all the junior hires raised their hand. They're like, we love frogs. And you know what? Th- this would have been frogs everywhere. This would have been very unpleasant in a lot of different ways because there was no place that frogs would not have been. And so if, if you would have woken up in the morning, there would have been frogs in your bed, frogs in the shower, frogs in your car, everywhere. And so uh, they would have been walking through frogs down the street. And this is just how it would have been. I think the most disgusting part is when the frogs died, there would have been heaps. It says there was heaps and mounds of frogs. Uh, that would have been pretty, pretty interesting to have to fill up garbage bags with frogs and put them in your truck and take them to the dump. That uh, would have been a, a big cleanup for sure. And uh, this was uh, the second plague. The third plague here um, is gnats, a.k.a. mosquitoes. How many of you have had some encounters with some mosquitoes before in your day. <laughs> oh, man. You know when, they're such troublemakers, aren't they? Not only do they carry nasty diseases, uh, but they're such troublemakers. And, and I, I always particularly enjoy when they land on your arm and you see them right as they're done sucking your blood and they're just, their bodies are filled up with your blood and you're like, hey, what are you doing? And you hit the mosquito and it splatters your own blood all over you. You ever experienced that? And we, we were, in fact, just the other day um, at Pompey's Pillar. Um, my family is in town. Uh, my wife's mom and dad and her sister and their family. And so we're, we're dri- we've been driving around. And, and when we were there, there was an inordinate amount of mosquitoes. And so have you ever been there before? It's like, where are all these mosquitoes coming from? And so we, you would literally be walking like this. 
And if you turn around really fast, there'd be like this wall of mosquitoes following you. And so it was like, hey. So the next morning we, we woke up and all the kids had mosquito bites. And we're like, what in the world is going on? And it's just a lot of mosquitoes. And so the annoyance factor is picking up. People are noticing, okay, this is, God's doing something. Like this is, this is not like our magicians anymore. Like something is going on. And uh, God's strength would be, was being proven. Uh, the, the fourth plague here um, is swarms of flies. Wow, swarms of flies. Now, we're used to flies in Montana. We, they're, they're on the animals, you know, they're, they're around. It's like, it's not a big deal. And a, a couple flies here and there, you know, outside eating dinner, you like swat away, it's okay. But this was a super abundance of flies. This wasn't just a couple here and there. This is God saying, I'm going to send a massive amount of flies to your region right now. Here's some flies. You would not have been able to sit down in the evening and eat a bite of steak without flies completely surrounding your piece of steak. So you'd have had some crunchy flies with dinner. That's just how it was. And this would have been a super abundance. People would have been like, something's going on here. They didn't have glass in their windows. There was no windows. It was just open. So there would have been flies everywhere and unstoppable. And it would have been miserable for sure. Uh, the, um, at this point, God is uh, going to turn up the heat. And unfortunately, uh, Pharaoh stays stubborn. And even though uh, everyone's annoyed and frustrated, um, he's still not going to budge. And true to form, he says, no, nope, you guys can't leave. Um, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm not going to let the people go. And Pharaoh stays heart of heart. And it's interesting because his magicians say, hey, these, this stuff that's going on, this is, this is the finger of God. Like, this isn't us, Pharaoh. And so even though Pharaoh knows that it's God, he's still not going to budge. If you look here in, in uh, chapter 8, verse 19, it's very interesting. The magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. Like, his magicians knew this is the real deal. We can't make this up anymore. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. So now God begins to turn it up. And, and the fifth plague is where it gets a little bit more serious. It goes from just being annoying um, to being deadly. And the fifth plague here is the death of livestock. And the proof that God was working is that not one of the Israelites' animals would have died. So in that land of Goshen, not one animal was touched. Not one cow, not one donkey, nothing. But in the land of Egypt... All the animals had died. There may have been a couple left, but you know what? All the the livestock, the horses, the camels, the goats, everything was dead. How tragic would that be? Think about in Montana, if all two million of our livestock died, that would would be unheard of. We would think, what are we going to do now? So now you got Pharaoh in this position of being a business leader, thinking, my my animals are dead. What am I going to do? And uh, true to form, um, Pharaoh doesn't budge. And he stays heart of heart, and he still doesn't let the people go. And even as God is showing his strength, Pharaoh doesn't listen. I want to look here uh, before Shane comes up in Exodus 9, uh, verse 7. It says, Pharaoh sent, and behold, there was not even one of the livestock of Israel dead. That's a miracle in itself. God is proving his strength. But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. 
You know, when it comes to the, the 10 plagues, um, being a junior high guy, I love talking about gross things because junior hires, um, they like gross stuff. I don't understand it. How many of you have junior hires in here like, or you've had junior hires before and you know that they're a little bit different, okay? We, we all kind of know that they're different. Well, I, I mean, they're gross and, and I know that. So even like some of the prizes that I give out are like box of boogers because for some odd reason... They think this is hilarious, and they love them. And, I mean, the flavors are disgusting. It's like sour green boogie and uh, lemon loogie, and, like, it's gross. Here, you want them? You can have them. They're really nummy. You'll, you'll really like them. They're super good. But I think looking at these, these plagues, this next plague grosses me out. I, I, I don't like thinking about it very much. And the sixth plague is boils. And, and we see boils start to cover the people of Egypt. And what it does is it takes away the magicians and the religious leaders of Egypt. Because they don't want to be seen in front of anybody. They don't want anybody to see the boils that are covering their bodies. I want you to imagine this with me. To, tonight, you're just relaxing. I don't know what you're doing. You know, you know, hanging out, watching some TV, whatever it might be, reading a book. And all of a sudden, you just start getting covered head to toe in boils. I, I, how many of you would probably go to work this week? None of you, right? Nobody would want to be seen in public. And that's what happens to the magicians and the religious leaders at this point is they are no longer able to appear before Moses. They don't want to be seen by Moses. And what God is doing here is he is showing his power and his might over the religious leaders. And he's, he's taking them out so that now he can focus on Pharaoh and the hard heart of Pharaoh and the officials and the Egyptian people without the magicians and the religious leaders trying to basically explain away the plagues that have been happening to this point. And 7, 8, and 9 are directly hitting Pharaoh and his people in, in a really hard way. This is, this is what it says in Exodus. It talks about it uh, pretty simply and, and uh, very forthright. Uh, Exodus chapter 9, it says this, This time I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and your people so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. No one like me. God is going to make a huge point that there is no one like him on this planet. And the first thing that he sends is the seventh plague. It's hail. How many of you know the damage that hail can cause from the last, yeah, month? I, um, thank you, Jesus. I was in Hamilton doing a wedding. Okay, it was the first time I've ever thanked God for being in Hamilton. And it was, it was a wonderful time. Okay, sorry if you're from Hamilton. I didn't know what to do there. Um, it, was, it was a lot of fun, and, and, but I got my... My inbox was getting just thrown off a loop. Like, I was getting emails, I was getting texts, I was getting phone calls from people back here in Billings saying, did you, did you see that hail that came down? My, my family had about, you know, egg-sized hail come down on their house. And my, my dad was just sick because they just replaced the roof about a year ago. And now that roof gets to be replaced again, and my sister's car that she purchased a little while ago was also stuck in that hail, and she was quiet, crying for a couple of weeks. Now, 
I was really happy that my truck happened to be in Hamilton and I didn't affect, get affected by that. But this hail is crippling and we see the damage that hail can cause. And that's the point of this. So what, what God is doing is he's sending this hail down to just destroy the crops in the, that, are, that are out there. Everything that is kind of left outside. Anything, any animals that were, were alive from, from the livestock being taken out. Any other animals that may have been left outside, they weren't going to make it. I mean, egg-sized hail that we got was nothing compared to the, the hail that they received in Egypt. It, it was, it's puny compared to that hail. And it destroyed everything that it hit. And some of the crops, they did survive. And some of the grains that they were able to move into protection under roofs, that's what God sent next for. And that's this, this eighth plague. We see locusts move in. And Micah explained how there was no windows, there's no doors covering anything, and that's the same thing. So anything that was, that was any of their crops, any of their grains that they were able to get secured, these locusts wiped out. Okay, I hate grasshoppers. I don't know if you like grasshoppers or not, but those things are like this big. Locusts are huge, and they're disgusting, they're nasty, they fly around, and since they know that I hate them, they fly at me. And I don't understand it, and I just want to like, oh, squish them. Okay, but it's a cloud of locusts that comes over Egypt and eats everything in its path and destroys the very livelihood of Pharaoh, of his officials, his people. And what God is taking away is the very finances, the very base of Egypt at this point. He's taking away their livelihood. And after he takes away their livelihood, with the, with the ninth plague, he's going to go after their heart. Or he's going to go after their beliefs. And their beliefs is, are, are very simple. The, the darkness comes over the land of Egypt. And with that, what, he, what God is taking out at this point is Ra. And Ra is, is the God of the sun, and he's also their creator. He's the creator of the Egyptian people. And so what God is showing is that he is bigger, he is greater than their God, than their creator. That this God of Ra does not even hold a candle to, to the God of Israel. That, that, that this God of Israel is so powerful that he can do whatever it, whatever it takes. And he's wanting to prove a point to Pharaoh and his officials that, hey, I want you to let my people go. Let them free. But still Pharaoh has a hard heart. Still Pharaoh isn't even going to pay attention to it. So God goes right for the heart. With the 10th plague. And that's the death of the firstborn son. How many of you in here are firstborn sons? Okay, notice, I'm raising my hand too. We're all dead. So how, how great is that? Um, I, I wouldn't look forward to this plague myself, okay? Um, actually, I wouldn't look forward to any of the plagues. I'd have been out at frogs. So that would have just grossed me out completely. But he's going for the heart here. And, he, and he's making a point that, I mean, this death of the firstborn son, if you were to lose your son, how hard would that be? I know family members that, that have and, and, and families that have. That's not an easy thing to walk through. And so God is going for the heart here. But we see something a little bit different with this plague because... 
At this point, the Israelite people, all that they didn't, they didn't get the effect of any of the plagues. Not one of the plagues, just because of the fact that they were the people of God. They didn't have to worry about it. But this time, they had to do something so that they wouldn't be affected by the plague. They had to take a step of faith. And that was they had to take an unblemished lamb, and they had to take the blood of it and put it over the doorposts. And at that point, the, the angel of death would come through Egypt, and it would see that blood, and it would pass over that house. And they wouldn't be affected. But they had to take the step of taking that lamb blood and putting it on there. And if they didn't, they would have gotten that full effect. These plagues were all about showing the strength of God, showing how big God was, and to get the people out of Egypt, to, to deliver his people. And we see right after this 10th plague, um, Pharaoh calls Aaron and Moses in in Exodus chapter 12, verse 31. And this is, this is what he says. He says, during the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go, worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said and go. And also bless me. See, Pharaoh was starting to realize that, oh, um, this God is legit. This God is kind of a big deal. And he even wants to be blessed at this point. But he doesn't get freed up from the bondage because he doesn't let it go. But everybody in Egypt is free. They're free from the bondage of, of slavery. And this is where we can start seeing a, a turning point of even God's heart for our lives. Because God desires our deliverance. He really does. God desires the deliverance from our bondage and from our sins. I like to think about bondage in a way um, where, where it's, it's pretty simple. This is, this is a weight vest, okay? And, and a weight vest, you know, you put on for when you're working out and, and you, you try to make yourself a little more buff. I don't know. Okay? So, like... When I put on this weight vest, I know it's there, right? It's, it's heavy. I, I'm being weighed down a little bit by this vest. You know, now I don't think I could probably wear, run a marathon because it's just a little heavy. I couldn't run one anyway because, um, yeah, we won't go into that. Um, but uh, this bondage starts to weigh you down. What does your bondage look like? What bondage are, are you stuck in? You know, bondage can look so different for so many people. Where it was Moses, he felt inadequate and his, he, didn't, he didn't trust in the identity and he didn't trust in what God had planned for him. The people of Israel didn't even trust that God was even there. They lost hope. Pharaoh was filled with pride and ego and he had a hardened heart. But bondage can look so different for so many different people. It could be an addiction like drugs, alcohol, pornography. It could, it could be greed. It could be self-hatred. It could be gluttony. It could be so many different things that we're, that we're being trapped in this bondage with. And the more and more, see, I can function for most things. I can talk to people. I can, I can go to work in a weight vest. But people are going to notice that there's something a little off, right? 
But the more and more that we don't deal with the bondage that we're in, the more it's going to continue to weigh us down. And eventually it's going to get to a point where we're so weighed down, now, it, now we're just trying to survive. Because if I were to try to go to work holding this weight all day with a weight vest, I wouldn't make it. If I was trying to hang out with junior hires and run around and play ultimate frisbee and play basketball and do whatever, I wouldn't be able to function with this in my hands. That's like bondage. Bondage gets us stuck. Sin can get us stuck and can hold us down. But here's a cool thing that I see in in the plagues and in this story is God is bigger than our bondage. God is bigger than our bondage. And I think that's a big thing for me to realize and any of us in here to realize. Because when we're stuck in this, we feel hopeless. We, we might feel like, like we're all alone, that nobody understands what we're going through. We might feel depressed. We're just downright stuck. But God is bigger than that. And God wants us to know that he's, he's bigger than that. But the second thing is, is we need deliverance. We need deliverance. Be, we, we need deliverance from this bondage that we're in. See, even Micah, Micah talked about it in Exodus 6, 6. It says, I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also re- redeem you with an outstretched arm. God is sitting there saying, hey, I wanna, I'm stretching out my arm to you right now, and I want to deliver you from that bondage. I want to help you out. I want to deliver you from that sin. Here, would you take my hand? And it could look so different for so many people, but he wants, he really is desiring our deliverance. See, in the New Testament, God didn't send plagues. He sent his son. He sent his son, Jesus, to die for us, to take us from that bondage. To save us from the bondage and the sin that we're in. That was God stretching out his hand and saying, hey, I love you. I care about you. I want to be here for you. But there's only so much that that he can do. I mean, he, he sent his son to die for us. He's stretching out his arm. But we have to take a step of faith. And this is my last point. That we have to take the step of faith. Because when he's reaching out, we got to reach back. We gotta, we gotta grab on. See, see, God is wanting, He's reaching out to take our bondage. But we have to do is we gotta hand it over. We gotta say, here, God, take it. Would you take it from me? That step of faith could look so different for so many people. It could, look like, it could look like just coming up and talking to somebody and saying, hey, would you pray for me? I'm stuck. I feel totally stuck right now, and I don't know what to do. It could be as simple as somebody praying for you. That first step of faith could be, okay, I'm actually going to believe that God exists. I, I, I want to believe in something, and I want to trust in God, and I want to surrender my life to this God. 
It looks different for so many people. But here's the coolest part about this story. There is freedom. The people were free. We are free because God loved us so doggone much. And when there's freedom, when we're found in that freedom, when we are delivered from that bondage, there's still a step of faith that we need to take. And that might be just worshiping God with everything we have, that surrendering over to Jesus continually every day because we're selfish people. I, ha- I find myself doing that so many times where I beat myself up or I don't even see my identity in Jesus. I see my identity in, in junior high or I see my identity in the friends that I have or whatever's going on and I forget that my identity is fully in Jesus and I need to worship God with all of that identity. So whether we're in a place of bondage or whether we're in a place of freedom, it still takes a step of faith. So where are you? Are you in a, in a place of bondage right now where it is going to take that step of talking to somebody, of getting prayer, or even just surrendering it over to Jesus? Or are you in a place where you are free and it's time for you to get going because what God is wanting us to do is to help the people that aren't and show his love to the people around this city, around this church, around this country. God is wanting us to spread that love. When we're in total freedom from our bondage and our sins, we can then truly worship Jesus with everything that we have. And it's a beautiful thing when we can do that. Would you pray with me? Well, Father, thank you so much that you sent your son and you delivered your son to to the cross to save us from the sins and the bondage that we're in. And then that he, he then rose again from the dead and he defeated death, defeated Satan to show that there was no power greater than you, God. And we thank you so much for that. And thank you so much that you, you saved your people in Egypt, that you freed them, that you freed them from that bondage by showing your power and your might and your glory. But God, today I just ask that we would take that step of faith. Whatever that looks like, whether it's just worshiping you uh, greater and with more heart, whether it's talking to people because we're free from that bondage and just saying, hey, I I want you to know this freedom in Jesus. Or maybe, maybe it's that taking that step of faith, confronting that fear of that bondage that we're stuck in and handing that bondage over to Jesus and asking him to take it. God, whatever that that step of faith that we all need to take today, would would you just show us what it is, whatever it might be? And would we walk with you to the best of our ability and worship you with everything we have? But maybe there's somebody in here today that their first step is that surrendering your life over to Jesus and accepting the forgiveness that he has for you. That you've never said, I I, want to follow Jesus. I want to surrender my life to him. And I want it for the rest of my life. I need to grab on because I haven't grabbed onto his hand yet. 
If that's you in here and, and you want to make that decision of surrendering your life to God, would you just look up at me and kind of raise your hand? And I just want to agree with you that you're making the greatest decision that you could ever make. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up and just look at me? And, and I just want to agree with you today. Yeah, I see you there. Thank you. Jesus loves you more than anything. And he's going to be there for you. He's just grabbed on. So get ready. Well, Father, thank you so much that you loved us and that you love us more than anything. God, would we worship you with everything that we have. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, there was one person who gave their life over to Christ and surrendered. Can we just give a round for them? Yeah, that is that's an awesome thing. Hey, if you need any prayer or anything like that, please, there's going to be people up at the front. We want to pray for you. We want to talk with you. And if there's a next step that, that you want to take, whether it be baptism or whether it's getting in a group or, or just talking to somebody, please head out to the Welcome Center. Um, or if you even need a Bible, they, they want to give you one of those at the Welcome Center today. And just head out there and talk with them. Hey, we love you. Thank you so much for, for letting us be here today. Jesus loves you more than anything. Go and be the hands and feet of Jesus. Have a wonderful day.